Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Loved, loved the week of prayer and fasting, and and uh, for those who are following again online, we just had a great time in all four of our locations. We I'm sensing a momentum building both in participation and faith and, and believing God and crying out to God to do what only God can do. And it was so amazing praying for people to be healed. Uh, not just that people were healed, but I, th- I think our church needed that. I think our church needed to flex that muscle, a muscle that maybe we don't flex as much as we should. And it was incredible hearing the stories, compressed back healed, ear infection healed, acid reflex, s- several knees, hips, back, anxiety, hearing loss. One young boy, 13 years old, was supposed to have surgery on his spine, got prayed for. The next day, surgeons call off the surgery. It's amazing being in these moments. We're like, whoa, okay. Like, you know, it's, you know that God does this, and then, but somehow you're still surprised when he does. And it's like, and um, it was just great. Um, and as I, Monday, we prayed every week, but Monday, when we first started praying for people to be healed, I, you know, I'm looking around the room and, and giving at some, you know, part of me was giving God thanks for what he did, but part of me was also wondering and what people were thinking about those who, who didn't get healed. Um, in fact, there's one couple, Brad and Renee Martin. There, I saw it look over and I see the Martin family. And I see them praying for, for people to be healed. And I was reminded of, of their story. And, and for those who don't know their story or if they don't know Brad and Renee, Brad and Renee have a special place in my heart, not just because they are Mizzou alum, uh, but, they, but they're fantastic young couple. Um, they originally hesitated having children, but eventually got pregnant in the beginning of 2019. And one of their visits, they found out they were having a little girl. They also found out this little girl was going to have a birth defect known as an infallicile, which essentially is the organs, she's born with the organs outside of her body, which causes a lot of complications. There's a 25% mortality rate, and those who survive experience a lot of other cardiac issues. They were devastated when they got this news, as anyone would be, but eventually found a place of faith and hope, and, and like, we're gonna believe God that God's going to heal her and God's power is going to be put on display and he's going to be glorified through her life, through God's power protecting and healing our little girl. And we all prayed and the church prayed and we gathered for a week of prayer and any other time there'd be little little leader retreats and we'd pray for them. and, And on October 29th, 2019, this is also my wife's birthday, and so will be forever linked. Uh, Mila was born. Let me show you a little picture of Mila. This is a few months. There she is, little sweet Mila. And uh, so Mila, she, she lived, she was born, and, and uh, she would go on to have about six surgeries over the course of the next 10 to 11 months. And we all, again, continued to pray and 
Renee was really good with social media, keeping us all informed, and we were praying and praying and praying. And toward the end of, I think it was September 2020, there was going to be what seemed to be this final surgery before she would come home. It was, it was a bit of a victory lap, really. It was one of the least risky of, of all of our surgeries. And it was mainly a, a mood of excitement and enthusiasm, and it was, it was great. It was a great day until after the surgery, the reports came back, and they, they were not good. Uh, little Mila was struggling. And if you know Brad, Brad's pretty robust. I, in fact, this is the first time I've ever heard him say things were not great. They were, he was struggling. Uh, he was worried. Renee was worried. The doctors were worried. I was worried. We were all worried. And we, we prayed, and we prayed that day. I got a call from the hospital later that night. And someone from the administrative staff has said, Brad and Renee have, have asked if you would come to the hospital right away, as soon as you can. So I get in my car, and I speed up 270, and I get to Mercy Hospital. And as I'm going to the room, the nurses tell me I had been up there before. They thought I was the grandpa. And <laughs> are you the grandpa? No. But thanks for assuming that. Brother... But anyway, so I go, the, I go there, and they're like, hey, Brian, uh, Mila's passed. Brad and Renee are, are, are in the room, and they'd like you to go in there with, with them. And so I, I go in the room, and I see Renee over her little girl, Mila. There's blood. Just moments earlier, the doctors did everything they could to try to save Mila's life. There's blood on the bed. There's blood on the floor. And she's just stroking her hair. And she looks up and she's like, will you, will you pray with Brad and I that God would return life to, to our little Mila? And so we began to pray and pray and pray. I mean, passionate prayers with full of conviction. God, you said you were going to heal her. You're gonna use her. You're gonna use your power through here, through her. We prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and as passionately as we prayed, those prayers were, were not answered, and we stopped. And I wonder what you would say to this young couple who just lost their first and only child. I wonder what you would do if you were that young couple. You know, our coffee cup theology won't cut it in those moments. Our trite little Christian sayings will not cut it in those moments. There has to be a deeper recess. There has to be something else. And I thought about this story on Monday as I'm, we're praying for the sick. And I'm looking over and I'm looking at the Martins. And I said, okay, we're going we're gonna to pause the Matthew series for one Sunday and I want to talk about how we deal with pain when prayers are not answered, when we suffer and we don't know why, and how do we handle those moments? How do we not just endure in those moments, but see and understand maybe a little bit of what 
is going on. So we're going to take a look at the life of Joseph. And for those who don't know about Joseph, there's the big three, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob has two wives, which did not work out well for him. It has never worked out well for anyone. Sometimes people say, does they get confused about the Bible? Does it support polygamy? I'm like, have you ever read the Bible? Have you ever like looked how it went for those people? It didn't go well. It didn't go for the, well for them. And he had two wives. His favorite was Rachel. That's my favorite wife too. <laughs> and I just have one. And so just to be clear, but so he has his favorite wife, and wife his wife Rachel had two children, Benjamin and Joseph, and of the two, even Benjamin, or excuse me, even uh, Joseph was his favorite, the coat of many colors. He, had a, uh, he, he lived with a little too much sense of self-importance when he was younger. His brothers did not take kindly to this. It was poison in all the family. And they ended up getting rid of Joseph, and they, they sold him for pieces of silver, took his coat, dipped it in blood, concocted a lie to his father, sold him off into slavery. And when you follow the life of of Joseph, it's like at every fork in the road where it looked like it could have gone well, it didn't. He gets favor and then he gets accused falsely. He gets in prison. He interprets someone's dream. He could have, the guy forgets. It's like, come on. Like, can I get a prayer answered? And then you, but then you realize, because we know the end of the story, you, you realize that all these bad things happen, but they happen, and it ended up working out because, like, not only did he come up with this amazing food relief program that saved all these Egyptians, but it was redemptive for Jacob and, and his brothers and preserving the, uh, the, Israel, the Israel nation, the, the people, the Hebrew people, which is a big deal in the Bible. So, so we, we see that. And so, but it's like, how does he, how do, but then what happens at the end of the story, um, Jacob dies and they're, they're, the brothers think like, hey man, our father's gone, now we're gone because, you know, the only reason why Jacob was nice, or excuse me, the only reason why Joseph was nice to us is because our father was still alive and now that our father's gone, we're gone. And... So, so they came to him and lied again, say, hey, you know what? We were there and our father, last will and testament is that you be nice to us. Like, please be nice to us. Uh, and Jake and Joseph said to him quite amazingly, he's like, I'm not gonna retaliate. I'm not even gonna hold a grudge. He says, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. The, the answer is, the question, excuse me, is Why? Why was he so nice? What happened to him? Was he like the typical guy, like, hey, you know, are you bothered? No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, good. I'm all right. It's, everything's fine. But, but I hurt you. No, 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 it's fine. And then 10 years later, when you're in counseling, you're like, man, that really hurt. He wasn't just kind of like, hey, I'll be the bigger person and deny the pain. He didn't deny the pain. Uh, something else more powerful happened. Well, how was he able to be in this place? How was he able to not just endure, but really thrive in the midst of terrible events that are happening that were happening to him? Well, in verse 20 is a clue. He says, am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? What empowers Joseph to forgive and not get bitter? He asked himself the question, am I in the place of God? Let me ask you a question. Who has the knowledge to know what people really deserve for what they have done? 
Do you have that knowledge? Do I have that knowledge? Do you know exactly how culpable they are? Do you know their motive? Do you know their background, their cultural pressures, how they were raised? Do you know exactly how culpable they are? I am a aid on the Enneagram, which means I live with a high sense of justice. And if you were to ask me that question, do I know exactly how culpable people are, what they deserve? I would say no, but I would like to try. And so... Uh, <laughs> Thanks for that encouragement in the front row. Um, he's, he's saying, in order for me to retaliate with violence, or even retaliate with a grudge, you know what a grudge is? It's like you don't do violence, but you secretly root for bad things to happen to them. That's what a grudge is. He's, he doesn't even hold a grudge. He doesn't want bad... He not only doesn't want... Uh, he's not only rooting at bad things... Will, happened to him. He's not doing that. He's actually saying, no, I'm going to be kind to you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give to you. What you did to me, you did wrong to me. I'm going to be amazing to you. How does he do that? He's like, well, the first thing he realizes, I would have to be in the place of God to know exactly what you deserve. I have found 1 Corinthians 4 really helpful to me in this because, again, I struggle with this when it comes to what I think other people deserve. In 1 Corinthians 4, Paul says this. He says that, I, he tells the Corinthians, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even judge myself. In other words, he's saying, I'm not gonna pronounce judgment on you and uh, I'm not even gonna pronounce judgment on myself. I'm not even a good person to judge myself. And then he gets to the money verse, the next one. He says, it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, here's how I'm gonna live my life. And this is how I suggest all of you live your life. Do not pronounce judgment before the time. Okay, when's the time we get to do the judging part? Well, when the Lord returns. So in other words, never. Because he'll, oh, can you go back, please? He'll bring to light things that are now hidden in darkness. Only God knows. Only God knows. So the first thing he grabbed a hold of, look, first of all, let me just be really clear. Uh, I, I, if, I was to, if I was to pronounce judgment on you and retaliate and hold a grudge, I would be putting myself in the place of God. But it's not only that. That's the only thing that healed his heart. It was robust theology, and I'll explain that. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended for good. Other translation says, you meant, for, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Now, this is a huge thing to say. It's even a bigger thing to believe. One commentator on the book of Genesis said that this moment is the climax of the whole story. In fact, the climax of the of the whole book of Genesis. And if you understand the importance of Genesis and the entirety of the Bible and the entirety of redemptive history, it's like it's saying a really big thing about what really God is up to, what, what's getting ready to be said, what he ends up saying here. He says that God has all the strings in his hand, meaning he is sovereign, he is in control. The guidance of God incorporated man's evil into his saving activity. The point of the story isn't simply that God overcomes evil by merely stopping it, which he eventually does, but by undermining its intent by thwarting its purpose. Now, this is huge. This is huge. Our God does not simply stop evil. 
He frustrates evil. He thwarts evil. Every destructive purpose, every single evil act in the end will only serve the very opposite purpose for which it was intended. That is big. This is the Old Testament version of Romans 8. For God works out all things for good. You know Romans 8, lash after lash of the goodness of God. Christian entrepreneurs have gotten really rich off Romans 8. What does that actually mean? That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) It means that it doesn't matter what happens to you. God ultimately is going to use whatever happens to you for good. That even the bad things, he's not merely going to stop it. And one day he will. He'll wipe away those tears. He'll put it into the death and disease and wars and all of it. He'll, he'll put an end to it. But he does something bigger than just ending it. He undermines the purpose and the intent for which it was unleashed in your life. Now that's incredible. It's an incredible thing to say. It's an incredible thing to believe. And perhaps God will do this. I hope he does. I don't know if he will. But I hope he takes us up some high mountain and he shows us all the bends and turns of our life, all the prayers that we didn't think mattered, all the pain that we suffered. You know, it says in his word that he knows every single tear and he keeps them in a bottle. I hope he's going to show us, I hope he shows us one day how all these things come together for this big, glorious purpose that we just look back and be like, wow, I had no idea. So he is able to thrive in this moment because he, he grabs a hold of two very, very important theological Concepts: the goodness of God and the godness of God, the, the, the love of God and the, and the sovereignty of God. And he grabs a hold of these two things. And I believe that he's good. And I believe that he is in control. But it wasn't just theology that saved him. It was an understanding and an appreciation and a love and a passion for the purpose of his life. There's more for us to learn in this text because what is the good? What's the good that's going to come out of this? God, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So what's the good? What is the good? Well, if we were to stop here and just rely on our American individualist, individualistic mindset, you know, the good is, he's going to make me better. You know, whatever doesn't kill me, make me stronger. You know, don't get, don't get bitter, get better. He'll make me better. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be wiser. I'm going to be... And that's, that's true. But that's, that's not what Joseph points to as the good. The good isn't you. The good isn't Joseph. What's the good? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish now what is being done the saving of many lives. So we have this saying here at Jubilee Church, we want all people to know God, find family, discover purpose, make a difference. In other words, that we live individually and corporately with this in mind. 
that God wants to use us to help other people know Jesus. In other words, God wants to use us to save many lives. And so what Joseph was able to say that I, God worked in all that God did and all these things that have happened, God used all those things to put me in a position to make me useful to save many lives. He didn't do all these things to make me more. He used all these things to put me in a position to make me useful to save many lives. What's going to help you when you suffer? And though sometimes you'll suffer in ways that this is the only thing that's going to help, is to believe, to know that you know that you know, that yes, God's going to stop it, it'll come to an end, and, and that'll be great, but ultimately, ultimately, God's going to thwart the purpose for which this has come at me, and he's going to use this for the saving of many lives. And that's only going to be good news to you if it's good news to you. It's only going to be good news to you if you're living with the reality that I am living for the purposes of God. You see, in the Garden of Eden, the enemy of our soul came to Adam and Eve and said, God wants you to live for him, but I've got a better plan. God can live for you. You can be as God. That you can live, that you can live as though you're gonna, you can live as though you could use other things and people and even God Himself to make much of you. And if you, that is to live for yourself, but God, but God invites us into a world where He says, I'm gonna use you to accomplish this purpose that's way bigger. This is more than actually saving people's lives. This is about changing people's forevers, and I'm gonna make you a part of my eternal plan, and I'm gonna bring you into, into my, what I'm up to on planet Earth. You can live for a higher purpose, and this is what saved Joseph. Ephesians 2, if you're going to go to growth track today or sometime in the future, you're going to learn this one, Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship, and that word means work of art, Greek word uh, uh, that has to do with poetry and, and artwork, that we are his masterpiece. That's another translation. We are his masterpiece. And God uses everything that you are, which is more than your gender, it's more than your race, it's, it's your background, it's the good things and the bad things. And, and this big recipe that is you, that is uniquely you, there's no one in the world like you, there never has been and never will be, that you are the workmanship of God, that you are the masterpiece of God. And this all happened beforehand. When was that? A long time ago. And God is this big director, and he set the stage before the foundation of the world, and he thought of you, and he says, I know the perfect person at the right moment, at the right time, that I am going to use in a school, in a workplace, in a neighborhood, and I'm going to use them, I'm going to use uniquely them to save many lives. And the moment that you were called, that is the moment you became aware of who God is, and that you had a part to play, is that moment, he says, okay, now the stage has been set, now come and join into my purposes, and I want you to live this out. And that's what that means. He says that you were created in Christ Jesus for God's, for good works, which he created beforehand that we should walk in him. So I'm in this hospital room, and with Brad and Renee, and 
And like I said, we had finished praying that God would return life to her. What's the good that's going to come out of that? What's the good? If she's gone, what's the good? I mean, to be sure, she's in heaven and she's doing great, but we're not doing good. So, what's the good? What do you say? I was thinking that. Brian, what do you say? What do you say? What do you say? What do you say? Thankfully, I didn't have to say anything. This young mother begins to declare the goodness of God. 15 minutes after her little daughter, Mila, breathed her last breath. One of the most remarkable things I've ever experienced in my life. And she declares the goodness of God. She begins to say, God, I believe that your promises are still true, that you are going to use Mila to glorify your name. And then Brad jumped into those prayers. And then after I picked my jaw up, I jump into those prayers because Brad and Renee live for the saving of many lives. And she, they knew that the purpose of Mila's life was to save. If the purpose of Mila's, Mila's life was to grow up and get married and have some kids and have a, a, a good income and nice vacations and a nice house, well, those, those dreams and purposes died that day. But they, the purpose of her life didn't die that day. They, this is why Paul was able to say, I have found the secret to contentment. That I could be rich or I could be poor, I could be well-fed or I could be hungry, I could be shipwrecked or I can have a really nice home, and I am content. Because I'm not living for that. I've got a bigger purpose in mind, the purposes of God for my life. That's what the Martins are all about, and I hope you are all about. And we won't know on this side of heaven all the good that's come through Mila, but we know some of it. Let me share a little bit with you. There's this girl named Allie Fish who came to our church in 2019, and and Renee Renee Martin is a part of what we call the Next Steps team to help people get connected into the life of the church. And Allie was coming, and then she stopped coming. Renee reaches out, hey, let's get coffee says, hey, thanks, but no thanks. I just found out uh, there's complications with my pregnancy, and the doctors had advised me to get an abortion, so church is off the table for me. Renee's like, hey, I've got complications with my pregnancy. Let's talk. They talk. She decides not to get an abortion. She comes to church. She gives her life to Jesus. She calls her husband who's in the military, wondering what he would say. And, and she calls him, and it's one of those moments she's like, I've got something to say. He's like, well, I've got something to say. I gave my life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus. Ah! You know, like one of those moments. And, and 
um, in 2019, we, we baptized Allie Fish, this, this is her, and then we baptized uh, John Fish, and they're in the military, they're in South Korea now with their three-year-old daughter, Camille. And so there's, there's three lives, three lives saved. Brad and Renee had a, started a prayer meeting for all NICU parents uh, when they were, because they were up at the hospital for hours and hours. We don't have anything else to do. Might as well start a prayer meeting. Only one person showed up. Her name was Kenesha, and Kenesha, um, in that NICU room, gave her life to Jesus. So it was four. There's one of, one of Mila's NICU nurses. Her name was Brooke, and she was impacted by Mila, and she started coming to Jubilee in the City a few months ago or a while back, and she gave her life to Jesus, and next Sunday, we'll be baptizing Brooke, and that's because of Mila. So there's five, there's five lives. And then there was another nurse who moved up to Alaska, and Renee's kept in contact with her. In fact, she came, this nurse came to St. Louis last week, and Renee got coffee with her, and they're talking to her, having conversations about Jesus. And Renee uh, says it looks like she's about ready to give her life to Jesus. So I don't know the full impact of Mila's life, but we know that at least five people and probably six have been saved because of her. We know, according to Romans 8, that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, to his purpose, to his purpose, not ours, but his. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined, that is, that he knew you before, he foreknew you, he knew you before, he predestined, he determined your end for this reason, to be conformed into the image of your son, his son. And I need to end on this note, because um, these, these kinds of stories are like 10 out of 10 inspiring. I mean, Joseph, the life of Joseph is 10 out of 10 inspiring. They're, they're inspiring to a point. They're inspiring until they begin to crush you. They're inspiring when you're like, oh man, I want to be like that too. I want to, I want to think bigger. I want to act bigger. I want to, I want to thrive in those moments. And we, and we leave here and we're like, I'm going to be that way. And then you go through something. And this inspiring example crushes you because not only are you struggling, but you realize you're not as strong as other people. And it crushes you. Let me just say that you were never, ever, ever meant to live this Christian life in your own strength. If you rely on examples only to inspire you, but never rely on the power of God to actually get you through, this is all just a story that won't actually help your life. We don't just want to look to Joseph, but we want to look to who Joseph points to. He is a signpost. Well, who is he pointing to? Joseph saying, the suffering that I experienced at your hands didn't really come from you. It came from the hand of God, so that through my suffering, I could save others. Does that remind you of anyone? 
Name starts with J, ends with S. Joseph was sold for silver. Jesus was sold for silver. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Jesus was rejected by his brothers. He came to his own, but his own knew him not. Joseph was falsely accused and thrown into a dungeon with criminals. Jesus was falsely accused and thrown and numbered amongst the transgressors. Joseph was stripped of his garment. Jesus was stripped of his garment. But most of all is how they viewed their suffering. Who was responsible for the cross? Judas? I mean, he's the one who portrayed him. Was it the, the Jews and the religious leaders? They're the ones who falsely accused him and, and got him into that trouble in the first place. Was it the Romans who actually nailed the nails into his hand and to his feet? Jesus did not think that his suffering came from the Jews or the Romans or Judas. This is what he says in John 18. He said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Jesus knew that his life had a purpose. And he knew that all things were in God's hands. And he knew that, that all things are going to work for the good, to ultimate good. And even in moments where he struggled, where he says, I don't want this cup. If it can be removed from me, remove it. If I can be healed, be healed. But not my will, but yours. And he was strengthened. And it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So don't, don't mistake. Don't, don't think that just because you experience suffering that you're going to not be full of joy and full of peace because it's just not true. God has peace and joy for your life and purpose and meaning that you won't even know what to do with if you could grab a hold of this rich theology that he is so loving and he is in control, and nothing bad comes your way, is ultimately going to win. One day he'll stop it. He will wipe away your tears. He will put a, an end to all suffering. But even the evil that co does come your way, he'll thwart its purposes and use it for his ultimate good. Why don't you stand with me? I'm going to pray, but maybe you would want to receive prayer today. Maybe even your in a place of suffering yourself and you came in angry about it and you're even more angry now. I don't know. You want to be like this, but you just don't feel it. Don't feel like you have the power. Man, I want you to know how good of a place that is to be in. To feel as though you don't have the power if it drives you to the person who does. And that's what I would love for you to do today. You don't have to ha have the right answers. You're amongst family. We'll cry with you. We'll try not to say very much. We'll just pray with you and Jesus will minister to you. Or maybe you want to keep pressing in to healing. We'd love to pray for you to be healed as well. Father, we thank you for your good and perfect will. God, I pray you'd give us the grace 
to trust you. Lord, I pray you would come and minister to those who are struggling. I pray you would come and, and, and save those. Maybe this is a thing that's kept people away from you. I don't know what to make of suffering. May they see the one who suffered for them. Maybe that's you. Maybe you need to come forward today and receive Jesus for the first time to see that he's the one who suffered more than anyone. That's why he has the best name, the name that we lift up. His name is Jesus. He loves you and he died for you. He wants to heal you. And he wants to give you the grace to endure whatever suffering comes your way. Amen.